Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry, with overpriced, underperforming products, and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. The Action Network Podcast. I'm just about that action, boss. Most gamblers, when they go to gamble, they go to win. Oh my God, that's incredible! <laughs> Big bank, small bank, I like to make money. All right. That is the ultimate kibosh. You want to bet? <laughs> and we are underway. Welcome to the Action Network podcast presented by FanDuel. I'm Jill Gallant, filling in for Brenda Glasheen, who is... Recovering from maybe a little bit of a hangover in Las Vegas. He will be back later this week for the Action Network Best Bets podcast. But I'm joined by Brandon Anderson. And Brandon, it's the Week 15 NFL recap. We've got 14 games to cover. Of course, we'll have Monday Night Football preview for Rams-Packers. Pretty late here. It's just after midnight here on the East Coast. Sunday Night Football has just wrapped up between the Giants and Commanders. And we're going to talk about a crazy NFL weekend that had some improbable wins and games that I'm still trying to comprehend 24 hours later. And that's aside from the fact, Brandon, World Cup, France, Argentina, give it to us. Man, genuinely, truly one of the greatest sporting events of my entire life to to kick the day off in between a wild Saturday of football and a wild Sunday of football. We go Messi, Mbappe, Messi, Mbappe, goals back and forth, back and forth, penalties, penalty shootout, extra time, just wild, wild finish. Like anything you could ask for from a soccer match, let alone the World Cup championship men's final. Awesome, awesome game. Like, and then it literally it ended in like five minutes later. It's like, okay, off we go. NFL Sunday, six games, four games, and it did not slow down from there. Yeah, and it was a tough uh, watch for the uh, soccer's boring crowd. Uh, that game had everything that you wanted. If it was the first time ever watching soccer, that would be a game that you would want to show somebody. Uh, but uh, as you said, five minutes and then pretty much penalties are over. Argentina wins and we're right into Sunday games at the 1 p.m. slate. But let's start actually, Brandon, with the Saturday games. The Saturday games were just as insane. And we're going to start off with Bill's Dolphins. And, you know, Bills win 32 to 29. The Dolphins do end up covering plus seven. Total goes way over 45. 
Uh, I cash a couple touchdown scores in this game, like Dawson Knox plus 250 and, you know, Jalen Waddle at plus 270. But uh, Brandon, how did the Bills not cover this minus seven? Is it the Tua effect or did the Bills defense just kind of let this go? Yeah, I think a little bit of both on it, actually. Just This was a fun game. We got that Buffalo snowstorm flurry, like, like you said, the kind of a snow globe effect toward the end of the game. I wish we'd had that the entire game, although I don't think the Miami cover was happening at all. If that was what the whole game would have looked like, you could tell when the, when the, sh- the snow started shaking down over the stadium and the fans were going nuts and like they had to keep announcing over the speakers, don't throw snowballs anymore. <laughs> like everything's coming up Buffalo when you get that setting to, to me, I'm a little biased. I must admit because Friday futures, I gave out Josh Allen MVP long shot at 25 to one. But to me, Saturday night was a Josh Allen MVP statement sort of game. Four touchdowns and 300 yards passing, 77 yards on the ground. Late in the first half, drove them down the field. One of those no, 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 yes plays. He rolls out and the clock hits zero in field goal range for give me three points. And he connects for a touchdown. Guy drops it. You overthrow it. You get nothing out of that. But that was a huge play. End of the game. Obviously, we get the drive again for the Bills. Uh, Allen did have a strip sack where they lost the ball there, but late in the game, 75-yard touchdown drive to to Knox, like you mentioned. Allen in for the two-point conversion. Then they get the ball back, just under six minutes left. 15 plays, 86 yards in the snow globe. Fuel goal. You know, they're they're all guys out there like with on their hands and knees wiping the ground off, trying to clear some ground. And yeah, Josh Allen MVP statement game to me. And I thought that was the difference. Yeah. And Raheem Mostert was he was legitimately on pace for 400 yards rushing, like after the first <laughs> quarter, the way that and it's significant to mention that because the Bills getting gouged by the run again. And that's been kind of a routine thing here uh, for this defense. The pass rush just hasn't been as effective uh, without Vaughn Miller. Uh, and I want to say, I kind of feel like Tua is getting a pass for this game. You look at the stats and you see the score, you see 32-29, but he's 16 for 30 from the field, 234 yards and two touchdowns. But one of those is a 65-yard bomb to Jalen Waddle. And yep. if you take that one pass away, he's 50% completions and he's around 175 yards passing, probably what a lot of people had him pegged to do in that kind of weather situation. But uh, Brandon, you know, this is how I know I'm getting old. I was legit concerned that somebody was going to get KO'd from a snowball. Like the bills fans got some good aim. They hit the cameraman. They were throwing it every time uh, a Dolphins player was in the end zone, but uh, the bills clinched the AFC East with that win in the driver's seat now for the one seed in the AFC. For me, that's all really I take away from it is that Josh Allen and the Bills, they are who they are, but I really thought they were going to probably win this game by double digits, and it actually took two final drives by Josh Allen and the Bills to actually pull this out. Yeah, watching live, I was I came away impressed with Miami live because, like you, I actually bet a few alternate Bills totals here thinking – Bills by 14, Bills by 20. If we get the snow globe thing and the snowing and Allen gets moving, I did think he'd have a big game. I kind of thought this might get away from Miami. Watching live, I was like, well, that was, that was a bad read. And Frank, it was a bad read. Obviously, we got nowhere close to the Bills winning by 20 or 27, which are actual bets that I made on this. <laughs> but looking back on the numbers, 
Miami, not that impressive. Like you said, Tua's numbers, underwhelming, elite rushing numbers by EPA, but negative EPA passing on this game, despite that includes that 67-yard touchdown to Waddle. Miami average in this game 7.1 yards a play, but they had that Waddle play. They also had a 67-yard run by Mostert. Take those two away, 4.9 yards a play, and suddenly you're one of three in the red zone. That really killed them this game. And the yardage just isn't there after that. Miami, we know they just came off of getting totally shut down by the Chargers and by the Niners. To me, watching live, I was like, okay, Miami has found some answers here. They're starting to get their offense rolling again. Kind of looking back and with some time, I was like, well, no, maybe that's because I thought Miami was going to get blown out. And they hung in all the way. They even had the lead late, 29-21, before they blew it. But I'm not sure Miami's out of the woods here yet. They're... They're still 72% right now to make the playoffs, but they go Packers, Patriots, Jets, all very losable games left. They're on a three-game losing streak right now. I agree. We got to keep an eye on Miami. I gave them out as a Miami to miss the playoffs future on Friday. They did get helped. We'll get to why later on with their division foes, Jets and Patriots losses, but I think Miami is not out of the woods. They're in some trouble still. Yes, you are right there. Seven seed right now in the AFC if the playoffs were to start today, but they're eight and six and teams trailing them right now, seven and seven in that conference. Uh, and like you said, the schedule coming up, both teams that are trailing them in the Patriots and Jets. Uh, we're going to talk about those games a little bit more, but the Dolphins bills would have probably been hands down the best game of Saturday, but on the morning game, or the 1 p.m. game, depending on how early you get up. <laughs> uh, Colts-Vikings. All right, let's just start it off. Vikings win 36-33. to 33. Colts cover. Total goes way over. But the question I have to ask you, Brandon, is did the Colts complete an improbable collapse, or is this an improbable comeback by the Vikings? Yeah, so you told me you are going to ask me this one, and... It's, you said I, I was I instantly I was like I was a little bit of both and then you knew it was coming so you're like no no it's no, gotta be gotta one or the side. other so I'll give you the answer this was a comeback this is a comeback by the, my Minnesota Vikings the epic future Super Bowl winning Vikings that I, I don't know what's happening with this team like the Vikings never have the season where they catch every little break along the way and man the first half felt like that half with all the regression hitting all the like well here it comes First possession, punt block, return for a touchdown. Two plays later, another fumble, another touchdown. It's 17-0, like instantly, before I've even settled into football, watching for the day. Then they go turnover on downs, field goal. They run a fake punt and fail, another field goal. We get a Kirk pick six, like all the bad Vikings in the first half. I got to be honest, I moved the Vikings over to my second screen. I'm like, whatever screw football for the day. I don't need to watch the Vikings 33, nothing of the half, but here's what's wild. Second half, the Vikings put up 499 yards of offense, second half and overtime, 39 points. And to me, like five turnovers in the first half, that's very bad. That counts. You put up 500 yards of offense in a half plus a little bit of overtime. That's a comeback. That has to count as a comeback here. Kirk cousins made some big throws. Justin Jefferson made plays. KJ Osborne made big plays. Let's be honest. The Colts gave this away. You're up 33, nothing. The Vikings turned it over six times, counting the turnovers on downs. One of four in the red zone. The Colts gave it away. 
but the Vikings still had to go take it. It's not so easy to put up 500 yards of offense and a half. And man, the biggest comeback in NFL history. Sorry to Frank Reich, who got fired by the Colts and then had to watch them give away his NFL record. Greg Joseph hits the field goal on the final play of overtime. I got to say, I enjoyed myself, at least for the second half. <laughs> I am going to take a little bit of credit of pushing the Vikings <laughs> to this epic comeback. So here's a little timeline of my events of POV of how this went. So when the Vikings go down 23, nothing, I'm tweeting out Vikings got them right where they want them. Then they go down 33 to nothing. I tweet out Kevin O'Connell is just setting the stage for the greatest comeback of all time. And look what happens. And I'm looking like a genius. We need something the opposite <laughs> of freezing cold takes. We need like the lukewarm or, you know, volcano lava takes of the, that kind of stuff for me. But uh, really Matt Ryan, now has the biggest comeback in Super Bowl history allowed. Now also has the biggest comeback in regular season is allowed. Uh, and it's really come down to one thing. He's the king of taking the unnecessary sack on third down. He just doesn't get rid of the ball. You know, two key sacks on third down in the second half. One that pushed the Colts out of field goal range. Uh, at this point, kudos to the Vikings for getting to an AFC North win with a game that is probably is going to be forgotten in lore almost in a way now because of all the things that happened in the NFL today and, you know, the world cup final happening. And then, you know, Ravens Browns, we'll talk about that later. That game was just a, a perfect uh, go run some errands and get some chores done or whatever else. Between there was. These two games. By the way, I, I actually wondered uh, Luke Vegas refund his, one of his best bets was Colts plus three and a half. I want to know. So that covered Colts lose by three. So the Colts hang on to cover up 33, nothing. Hang on to cover. It looked like the Vikings might walk it off with a touchdown and Colts blowing the plus three and a half would have had to have been one of the single worst beats in like sports history to be up 33, nothing. But I want to know, Joe, what do you think? Is that a good cover or is that a relief? Like they hung on, they covered the three and a half. Is this a good cover or is this a good beat, a bad beat that it was even close? What do you make of the, the betting side of it? I definitely think it's a good win. Because either way, your team was still up 33 to nothing. But the fact that you had to sit there and clench your butthole the entire overtime, the you know the fourth quarter of just watching this ridiculous game go to overtime, Matt Ryan just maddingly throwing balls that are just nowhere near his receivers. So I can understand the sweat of a Colts better who would have this, but at the same time, I'm not sure if they were ever fully engaged until overtime of, oh my God, I could actually lose this game. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. So, okay. My team went to overtime. I had a clenched fun time watching my team. How'd your team do this weekend, Joe? Oh, just a knife to my heart. Yes. Let's talk about <laughs> Cowboys Jaguars. So the Cowboys lose 40 to 34 in overtime. The Jaguars win at home outright as a three and a half point dog. One of the higher totals of the week, too, at 48 and a half. It goes way over. And Dak Prescott, uh, to his credit, uh, I guess for me as well, for people who bet interception props, uh, continues to rack up the profits for people who like to bet INT props. Another minus 115 hit today. He is now at plus 6.2 units in profit. He has thrown an interception in every game. And on the Jaguars side, Zay Jones 
had a great game, three touchdowns, and uh, Noah Brown had two touchdowns for the Cowboys around plus 650. If you're betting multiple touchdowns for Zay Jones, kudos to you, but uh, it would probably be around 25 to one uh, for two touchdowns. But honestly, Brandon, this game just reminded me of the Packers game. The Cowboys gave up 21 straight points in the second half and making a mediocre team look alive again. And the lack of halftime adjustments by Mike McCarthy is just apparent. Like, Lawrence throws three of his four touchdowns in the second half as it's clearly going to be a passing game script. Why are you putting eight guys in the box for Travis Etienne? And now uh, Dak falls to uh, 14, five and one against the spread. Uh, Still the second best mark over the last 20 years, but again, just some ugly losses like that. And with the win today, the Jaguars break a 20 game losing streak to the NFC. That's right. I forgot about that streak, man. That's rough. Yeah, it's wild. So the game ends on a walk-off pick six. Dak throws. They're, they're, they get the drags three and out. The Cowboys are out close to the 50. He basically hits Noah Brown in the hands. Like, you, you got to catch that one or at least not alley-oop it to the Jaguars guy. And so Jenkins picks it off, takes it to the house, and that's the game. Definitely a bit of a luck factor there to the walk-off pick six. This is not a lucky win, though. The Jaguars offense put up over 500 yards of offense in this game on a really good defense, or at least what I thought was a really good defense. Trevor Lawrence, that passing offense has been top five DVOA for six weeks and certainly seven weeks now after that one. So over seven yards of play for the game. Man, I I have not given the Jags credit. I've been on the wrong side of them. Remember earlier in the year, they were my pick to win the division and then they started out terrible or they started out well. And so I did a Trevor Lawrence MVP right in time for him to fumble like 17 times against the Eagles. And then they tanked from there. The defense still not great, but this offense, Trevor Lawrence, he is lighting it up all over the field. Jaguars are now 44% to make the playoffs. Jacksonville controls its destiny. In fact, Jacksonville plays Thursday night in New York. They play the Jets. That feels like a must-win game. It's really not actually because the Titans play your Cowboys the week after that. And the Titans are probably going to lose that game. And if they lose that game, then the Jaguars don't even have to win this game. Week 18 in Jacksonville, Tennessee at Jacksonville. At this point, looks extremely likely to be for the division. And so Jacksonville on fire. The weird thing here for me, other than I have to point it out, Dallas blew the leads, right? 14-0, 21-7, 27-10. At the end of the day, this doesn't really move the needle a whole lot for Dallas. Cowboys are going to still make the playoffs. They're not officially locked yet, but they'll be in. The weird thing is this Dallas loss actually is really big for Washington and New York, the Giants. So let me explain why. The Eagles are basically clinched the division now. The only way the Eagles don't win the division is if Philly loses out and Dallas wins out. Now, next week, Philly and Dallas will get there. That's going to be a good one. Dallas, I like their chances there. But there's still two more games after that. The next week, assuming Philadelphia, even if they lose to Dallas, if Philadelphia beats, I think, at home against the Saints, the division is clinched. The one seed is clinched. It's all a wrap. Philadelphia hosts the Giants in Week 18. That looked like a sure loss for the Giants if the the Eagles are trying. If the Eagles are resting instead for a Giants team that is on the cusp of the playoffs, boy, that changes the calculus a lot. Washington is home for Dallas in Week 18. 
Dallas is basically locked into the five seed at this point. Like they, they have almost no other outcome at this point. So why does Dallas sit that week? They don't get a bye week like Philly probably will. Dallas might rest. Now Washington gets a, an easier win. So if you enjoyed the Sunday night game, Washington and the Giants, I got bad news for you. Bad news if you're a Seattle fan or a Detroit fan, Green Bay, one of those teams on the edge of the NFC. This was a very good result for Dallas's division foes. Yeah, and the way that the schedule makers set it up this year with a lot of these divisional games at the end of the season, the Titans-Jaguars, for example, or uh, the NFC East playoff picture, uh, a lot of teams are going to be moving in and out of playoffs uh, as these games unfold. Now, the next game we're going to talk about, the first three quarters is whatever. It wasn't even really that fun to watch. But then it turned into the biggest shit show I've ever seen, and it was Patriots-Raiders- Brendan Glasheen, our gracious host, was actually at the game today at Allegiant Stadium. The Raiders win 30-24, to cover the minus 2.5 spread. Total goes over 45.5, and and it has the ultimate what-the-fuck ending. Pro teams have millions to spend, and they don't always spend them wisely. But when it comes to a great shave, you don't have to shell out tons of cash. Harry's saw customers getting ripped off by the shaving industry with overpriced, underperforming products, and decided to do something better. They found their own way to make beautifully designed razors for a fraction of the price of the other big brands, so you never wonder if you overpaid. Harry's shaving products look great, and the weighted handle makes shaving feel great too. I like to keep my beard neat, and Harry's always leaves me with a smooth yet crisp shave. Harry's quality is top-notch, thanks to German-engineered blades made in their own factory that stay sharp longer. You can get a five-blade razor, weighted handle, foaming shave gel, and a travel cover for just three bucks at harrys.com slash bluewire. And Harry's has the highest customer satisfaction in the shaving industry, plus a convenient subscription option that you can cancel at any time. Getting the best doesn't mean spending the most when you shave with Harry's. Get started with a $13 trial set for just $3 at harrys.com slash bluewire. That's harrys.com slash bluewire for a $3 trial set. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Mac Jones hands it off on a draw to Ramondre Stevenson, breaks out of a tackle at the 50, has the 45, breaks away from another tackle, pitches it backwards, and now Jacoby Myers spinning around. He throws it to Chandler Jones in midfield. Stafford, Chandler Jones racing towards the end zone. He scores! Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness! I can't believe what I just saw. Again! I can't believe what I just saw. This is unbelievable. <laughs> wow! On the first night of Hanukkah, it's a miracle in Las Vegas! And honestly, Brandon, it might be the stupidest fucking showing of football awareness I've ever seen. I like I'm kind of convinced that Jacoby Myers might still be concussed from a couple weeks ago because that is peewee football, like all these different variations of youth level football where you could say, you know this, you need to know this. 
and it actually overshadows one of the more egregious replay overturns I've seen with the last oh. minute Keel and Cole touchdown. Like his foot was clearly out of bounds. It's one of those things like where if everybody is in the bar yelling that he's out of bounds, it's probably because he's out of bounds. And there's I don't know what the replay officials saw uh, back at the office in New York, but I I want to feel bad for Patriots betters, but honestly I. Don't because this isn't your dad's Patriots. Like this isn't even your, this is your grandfather's Patriots. Like the ones back in the late eighties where they were just historically bad. Um, and the Patriots now are five, 10 and one against the spread in their last 15 starts with Mac Jones, at quarterback Derek Carr now moves to 16, eight and one against the spread on extended rest in his career and uh, nine and four against the spread when the games are at home. Brandon, how did you digest that? last minute play like is that something that uh you could just say if anybody was a casual watching the game that it's like oh yeah that happens all the time no like i i truly i i hate to do the hyperbole thing in the moment we're so prone to do it i can't come up with a dumber more shocking play to end a football game the the play that it reminds me of and i wonder i don't know if it'll be this significant as a vikings fan i don't even know if you'll know this one joe but modern day jim marshall Marshall is a Hall of Famer, what was known for picking up a fumble and trucking all the way down the field the wrong direction yes. and getting a safety out of it. This was dumber than that somehow. Like, you're just not on the ball. Just on the ball and go to overtime. It's tied. It's the last play. You're clearly not trying. You're out of timeouts. Kneel the ball, go to overtime. I don't, I don't understand. Like, did Jacoby Myers just, he, I, I think he just had a brain fart. I think he just, like, lost composure he, he wasn't expecting to get the ball probably because Ramondi Stevenson suddenly pitches to him so he's at fault Jacoby's at fault and our guy poor Mac Jones <laughs> as if 13 of 31 for 112 yards is not enough suddenly Mac hands the ball off he's prepping for overtime right like you're already thinking ahead to the next play he's just chilling back here behind the whole rest of the play and all of a sudden you see your dude 30 yards downfield running back toward you turns and just chucks the ball toward you. And we got like five Raiders and poor Mac and the ball goes right into the arms of Chandler Jones, former Patriot Chandler Jones, who Bill Belichick cut and moved on from and Chandler Jones gets it and just trucks Mac Jones, like just a face plant. And I think it was at that moment that the Patriots season pretty much ended they went from 64% to 19% to make the playoffs here. So, man, th that that play, the Mac Jones face plant on the stiff arm, that could be the stiff arm that, like, is, this, is that it for Mac Jones' Patriots career? Is this it for him? Well, I was going to ask a question to you that if we had a pie chart up right here, we were going to play the blame game, and we were going to say, okay, you get 50%, you get 20%, whatever – how much of the blame goes to Jacoby? How much of the blame goes to Ramondre Stevenson? And I feel like even Mac Jones deserves even a little bit of blame for not at least trying to wrap up Chandler Jones. <laughs> give me a percentage I'm gonna give, breakdown here. I, I, I okay. So I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna give Mac Jones one percent. I know I just dumped on him. You're not you're not tackling Chandler Jones, even if you kind of bring him down. Like he literally could just handed the ball to one of other Raiders accompanying him there. So we won't put this on Mac. I'll put this on, I'm going to say 25% Ramondi Stevenson. What are you doing pitching the ball? Like, know what you're doing here. Jacoby Myers, you're getting 50% of the blame because 
literally ran 20 yards backwards and then just turned and threw it like Aaron Brooks style turn and chucks. But that still leaves 24%. And honestly, this might be too low. I'm going to take away some of Jacoby's percent. This is on the coaching staff. Kneel the ball. Just kneel the ball down and go to overtime. What are you trying to accomplish? You're not trying to do anything. There's no timeouts left. You're not in field goal range. What is a run supposed to do? Kneel the ball, go to overtime, or throw Hail Mary. A run up the middle does nothing except apparently produce one of the most ridiculous endings that we've ever seen. I don't know. The Keelan Cole touchdown was absurd. You're so right. Like that replay, I don't understand. We all saw his foot on the line. So if you are a salty Patriots fan, you should be salty. Like I don't know how this game happened to you. 13 points in the last like 15 seconds or whatever. But it to, to me, it reminded me in a weird way of what like a month ago, the Patriots played the Jets. And it was that ugly nothing, the whole game, 3-3. And the Patriots basically get the walk-off punt return touchdown to steal the game. This was the evening out of the karma from that game to this game. And I think all it did is just kind of knock all these teams out like bowling pins. They're just all scattered, and and that's that. And the Raiders just can't help coming up with more ridiculous ways to win these games lately. Well, the Raiders won't really have much to worry about from a AFC playoff picture. They're pretty much out of it, even with a, a win today. Patriots dropped to seven and seven, just on the outside looking in now for the AFC playoff picture. But the team that is just ahead of them is the New York Jets, who hosted the Detroit Lions today, but ended up losing uh, twenty to seventeen. Uh, the Lions cover and it win outright as plus two dogs. Total goes under forty three and a half. Zach Wilson. Had some high moments, mostly low moments, 50% completions. And the Lions go over their preseason win total. First time since 2017. They do. And they went over their in-season win total too that we gave that one out. So one and five start, seven and seven now. Detroit Lion fever, like restore the roar. This is happening right now. They have a real chance now at the playoffs there. They're at 42%. I think that feels a little low, to be honest. They play... Carolina, Chicago, Green Bay. They can win those games. They can win all three of those games, potentially. The Lions are playing good football. Jared Goff, kind of solid in this game, especially on late downs, made some big plays. Both defense is really good, too. Detroit's defense continues to really be improved. But no Mike White for the Jets. No Quinn and Williams on the defense, especially as big. It, it's weird, like... This was the game that I circled like, all right, this is our, this is going to be our deep dish, right? Here's going to be, this is the big game. Jets, Lions, it's so exciting. I don't remember like anything from this game because all the other games end up being more exciting. Greg Zerline misses a 58 yarder at the end of the game. That would have tied it. Both teams had a late touchdown to a tight end. Kind of a blah game overall. But I think like for once it's because not they were terrible and who cares, they're just good football teams that played good defense, didn't make a ton of mistakes. I don't know how I said those senses about Jets and Lions, but both of these teams still, uh, they're up against it. Jets are down to 21% playoffs now. These are all 538 odds, but man, I, I'm not counting either one of these teams out. I, I thought it was a pretty good performance for both of them. Uh, Jets need to get their guys healthy again. They play Thursday, so this could be a tough turnaround, especially with Jacksonville so hot coming to town. 
Absolutely. And for the Lions, they now cover seven in a row this season. Uh, Jared Goff is 27 and 13 against the spread in his career in the 1 p.m. Eastern window. And they are playing the Carolina Panthers on the road in the 1 p.m. Eastern window next week. Bengals Buccaneers, though. Bengals Buccaneers, what a game that was. Bengals win 34 to 23. They cover the minus three and a half. Total goes over 43. I don't want to go ahead and say that the Bengals were gifted this game because they fell down 17 nothing early. They looked to be out of it. And after going up 17 nothing, here are the Bucks' next drives. You have an interception. You have a fumble. You have another fumble. Then you throw another interception. You punt. And then the final drive was a touchdown to Russell Gage to cut the lead to 11. Uh, Burrow uh, spreads it around to four different receivers for touchdowns. He only got sacked twice. I brought that up in the Best Bets podcast that over the last six weeks, he had only been sacked six times. So you're seeing a huge difference there in comparison to the first eight games of the season where he was being sacked uh, 26 times. Uh, Joe Burrow and the Bengals, though, man, 18 and three against the spread over the last 20 starts for Joe Burrow. Uh, Bengals are 19 and three against the spread in their last 22 games. And they go over their preseason win total with a win over the Buccaneers, who somehow still lead the NFC South. Somehow, because somebody has to lead it, I guess. Bengals second halves continue to roll. Also, we mentioned that one a couple of times. I played that one live. Bengals have now covered 21 of their last 23 second halves against the wow. spread. So, I mean, and that was not just a cover. That was like a cover and a half and then some. Uh, they put up, I believe, 31 points the second half. Here's the weird takeaway for me, though. So the Bucs, you mentioned like the, the wonky, all the turnovers. In a span of five drives, 15 plays for the Buccaneers offense, five turnovers. That's just, it's ridiculous. Like, Brady strip, strip sack, Brady fumbled, Brady interception. I don't know that he's ever had a stretch like that. This is not like, oh, in the middle of the game, Tom Brady finally turned into a pumpkin. Like, no, it's just bad luck. Here's my strange takeaway. I think this was maybe like one of the Bucks' best games of the season. They like Tampa Bay played pretty half. well. First half, they have drives of 13 plays, 11, 8, 10. These are long, real, sustained drives. The defense intercepts the, the Bengals on their first drive and then forces three straight three and outs. The Bengals have been on fire. Like this team is playing as well as anybody right now. And the Bucs go up 17-0. Then the turn the ball over every the zillion ways here, but the game finishes. The Bengals have 237 yards of offense this entire game. They're under four yards of play. And the run game, I know we've uh, I've dumped on Joe Mixon a lot before. Bengals have been running super efficiently, like top three or top five in the NFL. They could not run in this game at all with no Vita Vea, Bucks run stopper. So I thought it was a great showing by the Bucks defense. The offense, other than the like one quarter meltdown, but the offense in the first half put some real drives together against a pretty good defense. I, I think the Bengals are legitimately like a top five Super Bowl team. The Bucs played them really well in this game. Like they're, they're still leading the division. I actually came away being like, all right, man, I might, I might need to bet on a couple of Bucks games here. There's still 73% to make the playoffs. They probably get to lucky to trace McSorley next week. Now when the Cardinals come into play, Colt McCoy left hurt. So you might get a third string quarterback. I'm not saying buy bucks futures, but 
I don't know. Am I crazy to think that actually, despite the wild collapse here, that I could take something good away about Tampa? Yes. Reason being is before the game, I said, and even though it was a horrible line at minus three and a half, going past the key number that it was not probably the best bet from a CLV standpoint, and it still didn't matter because even though the Bucs just can't put four quarters together, that's the other thing too. Like, And we're so spoiled with the Bucs and Tom Brady and his legacy that when they have even just a semblance of a pulse, it's like, oh, here come the Bucs. And then then they become the Bucs again. But uh, the the Bengals now have uh, won and covered six straight games. The first time since 1988. The next game, Brandon, I didn't end up watching too much of this one, but had a little bit of a wild ending, and that's Titans-Chargers. Chargers Uh, Chargers win 17-14, to end up pushing at uh, minus three. Total goes under 46.5. And uh, Ryan uh, Tannehill does his best uh iron man impression i i don't even know what superhero we would call this maybe wolverine from a healing standpoint but uh, i mean he was carted off with an ankle injury and then comes back in the second half and ends up running rushing for a touchdown so what was your takeaway from this game yeah i was gonna go with willis reed maybe come back in injured and make the big hero <laughs> play so cross sport yeah the takeaway here is if you even if you were watching red zone only four games on you still didn't watch this game it was seven to seven for 12 drives in a row, no one could do anything in this game. And that for a Chargers defense that has not been good pretty much all year, but suddenly has been good the last couple of weeks. And the Titans defense that is supposed to be good, but was literally missing seven starters in this game. And they played pretty well too. So just nothing happened in this game. No one could move the ball at all. Till suddenly the Titans get the big drive late. Tannehill sneaks it in. Poor, poor Tannehill is playing hurt already, and they do the old sneak where you line up the running back behind, and Derrick Henry came up and, like, snapped Tannehill in half, pushing him from behind to make sure he got in. Like, poor guy. This is your quarterback right here. We saw how bad it went with Malik Willis came in. I thought the big call that didn't happen, so that would have made it 14-13, under a minute left. The Titans are on a three-game losing streak. You're missing seven defensive starters. Your quarterback's playing hurt. You got to go for that, man. Like under a minute, I realize if you make it, you're forcing the Chargers to push down the field and try to get a field goal. Spoiler alert, they did anyway. Mm -hmm. So at least try to go for the win. Best case scenario, otherwise, you tie it. There's still a 50 seconds to try to beat you, and you still have to stop that and beat them in overtime. You have one play. You have the greatest goal line weapon that we've seen in modern football in Derrick Henry, give the ball to Derrick Henry for two yards. And like, if they do that and get two yards here and then make a stop, which they didn't anyways, but if they do that, you can erase this whole awful month of four game losing streak with one play. All the Jaguars talk. It all doesn't matter if you just win one game, make two yards. I thought that was a terrible decision. The Chargers, as only the Chargers can do, do nothing all game. And then they're like, oh, hey, we're tied. All right, Justin Herbert, 16-yard pass, 6-yard pass, 35-yard strike, just like ripping through the atmosphere. And then, of course, they're in field goal range. They spike the ball. And because it's the Chargers, after a spike, they get a delay of game. I don't know how you pull that off. Only the Chargers. And then they kick the next play. Like, I'm absolutely expecting Chargers to miss the field goal at this point. But no worries, Dicker the kicker, 43 yards, gets in, Chargers win 17-14, and then playoff implications big for this one. Chargers are now up to 82% 
in part because they play the Colts, Rams, and Broncos. I don't think that the percentages know that the Chargers are the Chargers, though. So we'll see. At Indy, I don't know if I love the Chargers there. Frankly, if I'm a Chargers fan, I'm not sure if I want to make the playoffs with this team. You're probably going to keep it moving then. Keep Joe Lombardi around and the coaching. I might rather burn it down the way this season has gone. As for the Titans, we mentioned before, Jacksonville controls their destiny. Tennessee has to play Houston this week. That's the gimme. You better win that one because then it's Dallas and at Jacksonville. They have to win one of those last two unless the Jaguars lose to Houston and they're one other game. So you're going to have to beat the Cowboys or win in Jacksonville if you're the Titans to make the playoffs after you were gifted this division like two months ago. And they've been, it's like, we talked about, uh, about boxing day and, and getting your stuff, your, your gifts all boxed up and you're standing in line to return them. The Titans were gifted this division in like early October and they have decided to go stand in like a 40 person line at Christmas time, trying desperately to return this. And they, they might find a taker at this point. Yeah, trying to return a $10 pair of socks because they're off white or something like that. But yeah, the Chargers, uh, eight and six, as you mentioned, in the driver's seat to make the playoffs. Not sure what car they're driving. Could be like a Ford Tempo here. But if the playoffs were to start today, they would be playing the Bengals, uh, who are now in the lead for the AFC North with a, a Ravens loss that we'll recap here in a bit. But uh, I, the one thing I would just say about the Chargers before we move on to the next game is I feel like out of all the teams that are out there from a wild card standpoint they're the one team that you don't want to host because they have the talent to be able to maybe steal a win and they're so unpredictable that uh, they could you know fall on their face or make you fall on your face because you're trying not to outmaneuver them from a shenanigans standpoint but uh, let's move over to Sunday Night Football it was Giants Commanders Giants win 20 to 12 cover as plus four and win outright on the road in Washington. They moved to eight, five and one against the spread and all, but clinch a playoff spot. It's not there yet, but it's, it's fairly close. Uh, the total goes under 40 cave on Thibodeau, probably the best player on the field scored a defensive touchdown. He had multiple sacks. He was in Taylor Heineke's face pretty much the entire game. Although I will mention another rookie, Jahan Dotson for Washington. They found a gem in him, hundred yards and a touchdown His fifth of the year uh, was injured for a good portion of the season. So he doesn't have the touchdown numbers like a Christian Watson or, uh, but I do think that he is right up there. If uh, he had played the whole season, he would be in heavy consideration for offensive rookie of the year. Uh, but Daniel Jones now 12 and six against the spread overall and 10 and four against the spread uh, when a dog versus the NFC East and this season now with that win the Giants are now eight and two against the spread as a dog this season and uh, yeah the commanders I don't really have another way to say it like I know a lot of people will point to the end of that game and say you know oh that guy got held here there was pass interference on Curtis Samuel there was Stop making excuses. The Washington just could not get it done when it needed to be get got done. And the Giants were able to kind of run the ball on them. I don't know. I gotta make some excuses. I feel like I feel like this was a heck of a win by the refs. I, I thought the refs really took over this game. And like the pass interference on the last play or the near last play, the last Washington play was Samuel. one thing. Yep. They took a touchdown off the board a couple of plays earlier yeah. that they admitted after the game was basically a ticky-tack call that they usually shouldn't call. There was a Heineke fumble that could overturned by hair. It looked like the right call, but it's like, like there had to have been five or six plays that game where I was like, man, these poor Washington fans at home, you're supposed to get the home cooking refs 
they just got every close call went the other direction. So I think you have to feel hard done by that pretty clear pass interference. That wasn't going to give you the game. You still had to actually get a touchdown and get a two-point conversion and win in overtime. So I, I was, I have to say, I had the under here. I was getting some flashbacks. I thought we were going to go 2020 into overtime again. Maybe we'd get another tie and even this back out. Didn't quite get there. We got the under. Taylor Heineke, this is kind of who he is. Now, he makes the big plays, but two brutal fumbles. Washington got the ball down inside the 10 twice late in the game. They got no points out of that. They couldn't punch it in, and he had the strip sack, the earlier drive. He had the Kayvon Thibodeau uh, strip sack touchdown earlier in the game as well. So, yeah, this, this was the big swing game for the day. Washington with the win would have been at 91% for the playoffs. Instead, they dropped to 35%, and the Giants jump all the way to 87 themselves. So, basically, at this point, any one more win by the Giants gets them in. Even if they lose out from here, they still have better than 50-50 to get in. And I saw a note from our Evan Abrams just before we came on. Giants hit their season win total over also, first time since 2016. So congrats to Giants fans. This was a big one. All right, let's move to some quick hitters. Frozen pizza section. It's not delivery. And it's not exactly pizza either. It's almost pizza. It's very nearly pizza, but not quite. Pizza that's practically pizza in every way, except for a few key ones. Come on, dig in. And we're going to look right first at Chiefs versus Texans. Chiefs win 30 to 24 in overtime. And the Texans cover the plus 14 handily. Yeah, I mean, look, we have a one-win team nearly beating Patrick Mahomes and it hits our frozen pizzas in an overtime game. The truth is this was not that close. I don't really know exactly what happened. The Chiefs had over 500 yards of offense and held Houston to 219. They nearly doubled them in yards per play, but Kansas City had two fumbles that turned into short field touchdowns. Chiefs missed an extra point. Chiefs missed a field goal that would have won at the end of regulation. And all of that, just to give Houston the, the ball, one play. One play in overtime, Houston, basically Davis Mills throws a bounce pass to like, just, yeah, I'm going to go for a run. I know what you you take the ball. I don't feel like I need the ball anymore. And the next play chiefs walk it off with a jerk McKinnon touchdown. Don't take too much away from this. This is not like, Oh man, Houston, they're coming around now. They nearly beat Dallas and they nearly beat the chiefs. Now this is just a chiefs got some weird bounces. They rolled this team and it happens. You get the win. That's all that matters. Yeah, nine straight losses for the Texans now. Uh, Eagles and Bears. Eagles win 25-20. Bears do cover, though, as plus eight and a half home dogs. Total barely goes under the 47 and a half. Uh, Jalen Hurts rushing for three touchdowns. Uh, beginning of the season, he was 25-1 to one to have the most rushing touchdowns in the NFL. He has 13 now. He only trails Jamal Williams by one, who has 14. I think pretty clearly remains the NFL MVP, MVP favorite. Uh, the Eagles, though, they fall to 8-17 and 17 against the spread on the road since 2020. That's the least profitable road team ATS in that span. And the Bears were 9-4 and four to the over before this game with seven straight overs, and it did not come through for it. But uh, let's move over now to Falcons-Saints. Saints win 21-18. Falcons cover the plus five with a touchdown from Cordero Patterson with seven minutes to go in the fourth quarter. But other than that, is the NFC South back? <laughs> the NFC South was never here to start with. They are <laughs> certainly not back. Falcons went down 14 nothing and came all the way back to nearly get the win. They actually were driving. They converted a fourth down to get into Saints territory with about two minutes left. But on that fourth down conversion, 
rookie Drake London fumbles the ball, Saints get it back, and that was basically the end after that. I, I think, honestly, this win effectively knocked both teams out. They combined at 538.com have about a 5% chance at winning the division still. They're only a game back. The problem is they're a game back of the Bucks, and they lose the type. Both of them lose a tiebreaker to Tampa Bay because of head-to-head and divisional record. So Jasmine Ritter, rookie quarterback for the Falcons, made his debut. Couldn't make it to 100 yards. Maybe next week, buddy. 3.7 yards per attempt. I wanted to see Ritter. I wanted to see him have a chance. It didn't work out. I think this is it for both these teams. Yeah, rookie quarterbacks now moved to 10 and 5 against the spread this season. Uh Ravens Browns. Uh Browns went 13 to 3. Honestly, you miss nothing if you skip this game. Deshaun Watson tries to trick you into think he's going to have a decent game, but has another clunker. Uh, really, the big follow to this game, though, is the Ravens giving up the lead in the AFC North. They desperately need Lamar Jackson back because Tyler Huntley, he just ain't it. He had two costly turnovers in the second half. Uh, was in a position where they could have maybe put them into the game. You know, the Ravens defense did everything they could. Justin Tucker misses two field goals, very uncharacteristic. Uh, just a type of outcome that uh, I don't think a lot of people saw coming, but at the same time, uh, from a Brown standpoint, uh, I guess some good news, uh, despite this uh, shit show of a season you've had. Uh, Steelers Panthers. Uh, Steelers went 24 to 16, a little rah-rah spot for Mike Tomlin. They cover and win outright as three-point dogs, and the total goes over 37 with a Panthers field goal with only 19 seconds left from Eddie Panero. Yeah, not much to see here. Carolina, 209 yards of offense. This was a dominant performance by the Steelers defense that we've been trying to tell you about for over a month now. This was my best bet of the week, and honestly, it was pretty much easy. In a day of wild, crazy games, Carolina was really never in this one. They ran 16 times for 23 yards in this game. Steelers defense is legit. If if TJ Watt could have come back like two weeks earlier – Pittsburgh might have really been in this AFC race. As it is, Carolina is still alive. They can actually make the playoffs. I did the calculations. They can get in at 6-11. and 11. They could win the division at 6-11 and 11 and make the playoffs. Carolina actually still controls their destiny at 5-9, and nine, but the destiny involved 200 yards of offense on any given day. I don't think that's a destiny you want part of, so I, I would try to not trick yourself into going on this team. All right, we saved the best game for last. Cardinals-Broncos. I really don't have anything to offer you guys except for a frozen pizza. Broncos win 24-15. to They cover as two-point faves. The total total goes over 36-and-a-half. And And that grunt you heard was me uh, just wanting to rip my long hair out because the Broncos scored three touchdowns in the fourth quarter thanks to some costly Trace McSorley turnovers. And if you listen to the Best Pets podcast, it's exactly how I said this total is going to go over is from shenanigans, like where neither of these teams' offenses are actually going to generate points. What they're going to happen is they're going to be put in position where they basically have to, they're going to fall ass backwards into points. Um, With the loss, Cardinals officially eliminated from playoff contention, so we don't have to think about them anymore from a future standpoint. And I would just sum up this game as saying, I don't even think it deserves frozen pizza status. Like this is a leftover rotten bologna sandwich that you find in your car from like a year ago. Like I I don't want to even think about the Broncos anymore, but it's almost just a fun running joke now of me covering the Broncos. It seems like every week, but uh, yeah, maybe Russell Wilson is back next week. I'm not sure. I don't know if we can watch another game of Brett Rippon. 
Yeah, I mean, we we got Christmas Day afternoon coming with the Broncos, so get excited. We got another gift to open soon. Uh, I the only good thing about the Broncos all season is our running joke of putting them last every time. Let's get to Monday night. Rams Packers. Packers are home favorites of a touchdown at minus seven with an over under of 39 and a half. The quarterback matchup that everybody wants to see Baker versus Rogers Packers playoff hopes slightly alive. Brandon, what are you thinking for this game? And are you betting it? I am going to bet it. Actually. I quite like the Packers here. So Packers have two big problems. They don't stop the run and their special teams are terrible. The rest of the team, not terrible, not great, but pretty average, a little above average at times. The Rams don't run the football. They don't have good special teams, so they can't really hurt the things that the Packers are weakest at. We know the Rams offense is bad, has been all year. Defense is down below average the last six weeks too. No Aaron Donald in this game also, so they don't get any pass rush on the quarterback. Packers protect the quarterback well. I think Aaron Rodgers is going to pick apart this defense and put up a big night. I know we want to make this Aaron Rodgers and Baker Mayfield in the light of we're still thinking of Baker as this number one pick. Here's the truth. Baker Mayfield, great comeback in all Thursday night. Don't forget, it was 16-3 to before that little comeback. And this is a guy who's been cut twice this season by non-playoff teams. So we got a QB3 who's off waivers, passing to Tutu Atwell and Ben Skowronek. That's the Rams right now. I like the Packers. This team is still alive in the playoffs. I think that they still have a pulse here, and you got plenty of numbers in your favor. Rodgers at home in primetime, 23-11-1 against the spread. Rodgers coming off the bye week, 9-3-1 against the spread. And we did the little weather report before the game. It looks like it's going to be in the teens. Nothing too crazy. Maybe some little snow flurries late. When it's 25 degrees or below, Aaron Rodgers is 11-5 against the spread our most profitable quarterback in our system at Bat Labs. So I like the Packers here. I took them at minus six and a half. Happy to grab the seven. I don't mind that this is a game that doesn't seem that exciting. I'm excited to make some money. Yeah, I'm going to bet some touchdown scores. Uh, I initially was a little hesitant on pass catchers, but I still love Alan Lazard in this spot at plus 270. He leads the team in red zone targets. He's got five touchdowns this year. And I'm trying to zig and get some value on pass catchers for the Packers because I think everybody is going to be zagging to Christian Watson with how well he's been playing. Go North Dakota State. Uh, on the Rams side, I'm going to be taking Van Jefferson at plus 400. Touchdowns in three or six games since he's come back. He's playing over pretty much 100% of the snaps. He's wide receiver one by default. Uh, Baker's got to throw it to somebody. It may not get there, but if he does get there like he did in the final play against the Raiders, Hopefully Van Jefferson is able to catch it. But uh, now it's time to take a quick look at the NFL Week 16 lines. Let's say hello to our old friend Peyton Manning and kick off the hot read. Hot rock! Blue 17! Oh, nice right! Ice cream! Jose! Blue the Raiders! 19 seven. 19! Louisville Soul Train! And now, Brandon, in this segment, we're going to be discussing some spreads that we like uh, for week 16, trying to get a little bit of advanced move on some line movement. Uh, Brandon, what are you looking at for week 16? Yeah, so the hot read this week is a little bit more like the cold read because this is a warning. You don't want to bet too quickly on most of these games. You look ahead here, 
Let me give you some totals that I've posted for games for week 16. We got a 41 and a half. We got 41, 41, 41, 40 and a half, 39 and a half. Remember we talked about that Broncos game, 35 and a half Broncos Rams. We got a 34 on the board. Cleveland and New Orleans is a 34. Guess why? It's because there's this huge storm hitting like most of the country, especially across the Midwest. That Cleveland game is forecast for 35 mile an hour winds right now. Huge snowstorm. Weather, I think, is going to wreak havoc on these games this weekend. So be careful before you go out making your bets here. I'm not going to be betting too much early in the week. couple that I do like. I did Packers plus four and a half in Miami on the look ahead. That line is still out there. Obviously, Miami lost their game. Green Bay, if you like what I just said about the Packers for Monday night, I think that line might get down to like plus three. I want to grab that one before Monday night. Still like the Packers there. You can listen back for that. Here's your high read for this week. Give me the Lions minus two and a half at Carolina. This is just a taking the better team play. The Lions have been good. We've been backing them. The offense with Amon Ross St. Brown is top five. The defense continues to impress. Had another nice showing against the Jets today. And look, we kind of dumped on the Panthers. They barely hit 200 yards today of offense. Just because they are, quote unquote, alive in the playoff race doesn't mean that they're very good. Sam Darnold, not a good quarterback. Not then, not now. The Lions are just better. They're better on offense, better on defense. I like it at minus two and a half, and I think it's going to rise the key number and pass. So just give me Detroit. All right. Well, that was the hot read, and that'll do it for the Action Network podcast presented by FanDuel. Tune in Wednesday mornings for Chris Raybon and Sean Kerner's Player Projections episode. And then on Thursday mornings, you can hear Raybon and Stucky's NFL betting preview, which features the Sunday six-pack. And of course, on Friday mornings, you can check out our NFL Best Bets episode with myself, Brandon Anderson, Luke Swain, a.k.a. Vegas Refund, and a returning Brendan Glasheen. I want to thank everybody for listening and have a happy holiday season. Action Network reminds you, please gamble responsibly. If you or someone you care about has a gambling problem, help is available 24-7 at 1-800-GAMBLER.